Hey, do you want to be like me and make podcasts that everyone loves? Yeah, you do. But chances are, you don't want to spend a bunch of money doing it. No worries. A solution exists. Spotify's got a platform that lets you make podcasts super easy, then distribute those podcasts everywhere, and you can even earn money doing it. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Also, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. I'm speaking from experience when I say that all those additional features like video podcasts, Q&As, polls, those are things you won't find for cheap elsewhere. But with Spotify for Podcasters, it's all totally free no catch. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Thanks. We love you. Welcome to Pretty Scary. I am your dear leader, Adam Todd Brown, and joining me as co-dear leader, who are you? Prefect Caitlin. <laughs> Caitlin Cut. Dear leader's a little scary. <laughs> but if it's, I, I know what like, you did. I meant like the animal. We You're were, a deer leader. We wrangle deers, yeah. Deers. Didn't That's you guys a, know we wrangle deer? Deers is the proper plural of deers deer a wrangle deers <laughs> i'm a deer wrangler oh man what do you do for a living i wrangle deers it would be a fun fun response so caitlin how have you been since we recorded last everything's different now the world has changed 100 percent. the axis has tilted i'm Nothing... a different woman yeah i'm sure Got... we're all different after all... what happened after that after yeah. that yeah but i don't want to talk about it We've I don't talked either. about it too much. It's been on the news enough. It's you guys are probably sick of hearing about it too. We want to take a break from it. Man, it would be so funny if we're just being horribly insensitive right now and don't realize it. Time is a episode, tricky bitch. I don't know what'll happen between now and next week. <laughs> we're recording in the future. So what are we talking about this week, Caitlin? Assassins. This is gonna be very fun. Oh, God, it's uh, so good. I mean, fun is a strong word for it. It is mm, about the uh, yeah. heinous, heinous murder of a man who probably didn't deserve it. But it is like a crazy Rube Goldberg way to kill somebody, like through people and emotions and needs and desires to be famous. And it's amazing. It's one of those documentaries that probably will be a movie someday. It has to be. Yeah, there's no reason it shouldn't be. Or at least a funny prank video on the internet. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, <laughs> you know, it should be the Matt Parker and Trey Stiller. Like, the South Park guys should make this movie. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. They yeah. they would do a great job. Team North Korea, world nope, police. Nobody else. <laughs> I wouldn't trust this. Well, maybe uh, Adam McKay could do it. Sure. So this documentary, it covers the death of Kim Jong-nam, who was the brother of Kim Jong-un. And you kind of need some background. And they go over the background of this, but I'm fine spoiling this part because this is just like history stuff. Yeah. What if you don't watch the movie? This is good to know. Right. There's going to be parts of the documentary that we will not talk about as much as we would love to. Because I want people to watch this. I don't want to spoil the entire thing. So let's go through some of the background. Who was Kim Jong-nam? He was the eldest son of former North Korean leader Kim Jong-il. Was long considered the heir apparent to his father's reign. Around 2001, he fell out of favor with the regime for one of two reasons, depending on who you ask. If you asked him, he would say he was pushed aside for calling for reform. He -hmm. wanted North Korea to operate in a little more transparent way, a little less harsh toward their people, which probably would have been a step in the right direction. He claims that's why he was pushed aside. Everyone else claims it's because of this incident where he attempted to visit Tokyo Disneyland with his family using a false passport from the Dominican Republic. And the name on the passport, it was in Chinese, but in Chinese it said Fat Bear. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that a wayward family vacation created an unhealable rift. I think that's happened to a lot of families. (laughs) I'm serious. Whole whole movies about it. I families implode over the dinner table all the time. You know, you you want it to be palace drama, but maybe it is just like, dude, you shouldn't have gone to Disneyland. We're supposed to be North Korea. You're not supposed to like anything like that. Right. Bad move. Yeah, it was a stupid thing to do. There is some suggestion that he was kind of set up in this incident because there's a weird family dynamic between the two siblings (laughs) mothers which is very strange so this incident either way the fat bear at tokyo disneyland incident as i hope it went on to be called yes this marked the beginning of the end for kim jong-nam in north korea he basically asked his dad if he could just go live in exile and his dad was like sure whatever which that's actually a pretty good outcome if I'm being honest. I feel like there are certain stations in royal life that seem like the sweet spot. One of them is living in exile because it's not like you're living in squalor. You're just like living your life. You're not working. You're not doing shit. You're just collecting antique cars or whatever it is that you do. And everybody leaves you alone. Yeah. You just can't go back to the country where everyone hates you. Oh no. The other thing, if we're talking way back in time, like medieval Renaissance time, anytime, before television or whatever. I feel like if I had an arranged marriage with a gay guy, that would be sweet. That would be the only way I know I'm not going to die. I feel like you'd be in a good spot. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm sure there's gay guys with rage issues. You never know. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm just saying, look at Anne Boleyn. There you You go. You don't want to end up with the king who's got like the alpha thing going. That's not good. You're going to die. But that's also like the the getting drafted into the NBA of marriages. Most people aren't going to marry that guy. She wanted it to be. She wanted to be married (laughs) to that guy. There's no question about that. She made her move and she had to pay the piper on that one. 
And now we have crazy fundamentalism, basically because of a weird divorce. My point is, there's only really a couple ways that being in a royal family seems awesome. Everything else seems like a goddamn nightmare. Yeah. I, that it seems like actual hell. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the thing about the mothers in this case, Kim Jong-nam yeah. and Kim Jong-un have different mothers. And Kim Jong-nam's mother is described as being very docile and hands-off. Meanwhile, Kim Jong-un's mother is not that. She's no. very vocal and has a lot of ambition when it comes to her son taking over instead of Kim Jong-nam. So one of the suggestions when it comes to that Disneyland thing is that she's the one who tipped authorities off that Kim Jong-nam was headed to Disneyland because she knew what kind of incident that would be in the public's eye. And I think if you've got some weird stepmom always looking into messing up your life, maybe you don't get some weird trip to Disneyland together if you're like in one of the most dangerous families to be part of in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not. Oh, no, I know. I'm, I'm not just like thinking sympathizing with this guy for getting that kicked out of the Kim That wasn't directed at you. I just like, I don't understand these people. <laughs> It's just, it just seems like such a bad idea. Well, rich people just live. I know. So, Caitlin, have you watched Celebrity Family Feud? No. Watch Celebrity Family Feud. It is the most, watch specifically the Terrence Howard versus Rob Lowe episode. I don't know if I want this in my head, man. Oh, it's one, it's very funny, but okay. also it is a fascinating insight into how rich people and especially rich kids live. I don't like that. One of Diana Ross's kids is on there, oh, and I don't God. think that dude is even human. I think he is an alien. The answers was... he was giving, oh, man. So it doesn't surprise, like, when rich people do crazy shit, it's like, yeah, they're rich and bored. Of course, fucking Richard Branson's wrong. going to space. Oh, don't even get me started on that Yahoo. Yeah. I couldn't care. I just, I used to like him. And then I'm like, oh, all that money that you spent on getting your ass into space, you could have helped so many, just go away. Now I need you to go away. Yeah. So in 2003, the Korean People's Army started a propaganda campaign using the slogan, the respected mother is the most faithful and loyal subject to the dear leader, comrade, supreme commander. And I, I think well, we all know what that means. That just really feels like a natural statement that to make. Really drives you know the point home. Mm -hmm. What it was actually saying, <laughs> it was them basically siding with Kim Jong Un's mom in yeah. the power struggle between him and Kim Jong Nam. And that's bad times for Kim Jong Nam. Once you lose the military, you cannot run a country if the military doesn't support you no because it's their job to support yeah. the leader of the country especially if you're a dictator and when they stop oh you're in trouble ask yeah. malaysia which is foreshadowing alert where this takes place God, do you ever just like marvel at the strong branding that came out of zoolander from malaysia i caitlin have never seen zoolander really yeah i know i know i've also never seen dumb and dumber completely from beginning to end i've seen it all but just in parts okay I mean, I'm not a, a movie activist, so that doesn't bother me. It's just, I think Zoolander came along at like, I'm realizing an incredibly formative time in my life because every time I hear the word Malaysia, I just imagine Will Ferrell's face saying, murder the prime minister of Malaysia. And he's like zooming in and out. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. That's I think it. of 
flights disappearing mysteriously when I hear Malaysia still. Well, you know, as usual, you have a much more grounded relationship with reality than I do. So that's fine. And I think of Ralphie May's great joke. Rest in peace, Ralphie May. I saw him in Madison, Wisconsin, around the time of the second Malaysia Airlines crash. And he was on stage and he said Malaysia Airlines should change their motto to Malaysia Airlines. We build reefs. <laughs> planes crashed in the ocean. That's, that's definitely a Ralphie May joke. That's a that's quality great. joke. Yep. So once he lost the support of the military, he ends up fleeing the country. He goes to live in Macau, which, again, I think I'd rather live in Macau in North Korea. So not the worst set of circumstances. God, yeah. Who wants to? Never mind. How about you go do some gambling and think about what you've done? Yeah. Enjoy a lychee martini and think really hard about where you want your life to be. Hmm. Here? I hope this Dole Whip really makes you think hard. (laughs) That said, he has survived several. Well, he had survived several assassination attempts. In 2006, he was traveling to see his brother in Munich. There was another assassination attempt in 2012. But I think what really got him on his brother's radar was that in 2012, he released a book. And in it, he said he expected that the Kim Jong-un regime would eventually collapse because their father, Kim Jong-il, died and Kim Jong-un took over. And it seems like that didn't sit well with Kim Jong-un. In fact, Mm. it's reported that he issued a standing order to have his brother killed after that book was released. Thanksgiving is going to be awkward. And there is also some suggestion that China was kind of protecting Kim Jong-nam because they were worried that if North Korea did collapse... They could just move him into power and they'd have a leader that was a little more malleable. So Kim Jong-un did probably have a little reason to worry that this guy was going to try and take his crown. Doesn't hey. Mean, hey, doesn't mean you do what you did, but you know. This documentary is fascinating to me because as far as like the geopolitical aspect of it, the intrigue there, I have a hard time attaching myself to any of it because it's all rooted in North Korea. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know. Uh, These are bad people. I don't know. But it's clear to me that Kim Jong-il was like... He had to have known something was going to go down, right? I mean, six. how many assassination attempts? His brother's pissed at him. You mean Kim Jong-nam. Kim oh, sorry, Jong-il King was Jong- the father. Yeah, no, no. King jong yes. Well, yeah, he of had, course. I, of course he knew. Like, so I'm agreeing with what you're saying. It's like, I, yeah, like you should be aware that your brother wants you dead. Like this is going to come up a lot going forward <laughs> forever until it works. And, and it did. Like, I know that you want reforms and whatnot. But also, once you get out and you're in exile, why not just leave well enough alone? <laughs> like, why do you got to write this book? I mean, well, that's, I guess that's kind of what I'm I'm not trying I'm to victim blame, but I am kind of blaming the victim here. Maybe I'll be more specific with my critique here. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Welcome to Victim Blame, sponsored by Pretty Scary Boo. I have a hard time finding sympathy for this guy because he really does seem to be picking a fight with this book situation. Sure. And he's not offering many solutions forward. You know, it's not like he's going to China or maybe he was, I don't know. And being like, well, what's the plan guys? You know what I mean? Like, it's just weird. Don't really know what he meant by 
reforms. Exactly. Like he might have been I, like, oh, no, you're all going to starve. I'm just going to make a few. Like, well, the, we'll have sports teams, though. That's what I mean. It's like he's mobilizing the family drama to like gain sympathy for himself and right. distance himself from how horrible North Korea is. <laughs> and it's like, it's not really working, man. Like I, he's, you he's know, like trying to do what a bunch of Jonestown survivors did, which is interesting. when a lot of those early defectors started coming out, what a lot of people don't realize, those are the people that were running Jonestown. They aren't the yeah. ones who are being subjected to the slavery and the mind control. And they all fled like six weeks before Jonestown happened. And they yeah. get out and they're like, what? We're victims. And it's like, I'm glad no, you, said this. you weren't. This is the issue that I have with the Nexium documentaries. Like, it's the same thing where we've got these people that come forward, like Sarah Bronfman or whatever. And they're like, oh, this was or, or what's his name? Marty Rathburn from Scientology that came forward with you know, Lisa Remini and all this. It's like, you did all of the, you, you were at the top and I understand that's why you're a valuable voice now, but I don't want you to be famous or anything anymore. I need you to just give everything you have to the police and go away. Either like, that you, gotta, or you can be famous after you get out of jail for what you did. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. You like need with, to go to jail. With Jonestown, one person was prosecuted That's over what wild. happened in Jonestown. And they knew who shot Leo Ryan and didn't even prosecute that guy. Don't fucking get me started on Jonestown. I do have a nine-part podcast series about Jonestown over on the Conspiracy the Show pod, if you're interested, though. But this is connected. It's like, and it's actually much more widespread and much more horrifying in scope than right. Jonestown or Nexium. Priceline presents Go to Your Happy Price. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. You can see yourself already there. It's beautiful. It might be sunny and sandy for some, neon and urban for others, deserts or rainforests or hiking trails. With Priceline, you can get to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else. Like up to 60% off select hotels to Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to Priceline.com and travel to your happy place for a happy price. All right, see ya. I'm off to Miami. No, actually, wow, look at that. No, I I'm going to Hawaii now. Ooh, Cancun looks nice. You know what? Belize looks pretty nice this time of year. Or, mmm, Palm Springs. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Getting back to Kim Jong-nam, it's that thing you see all the time in the United States and especially in the United States media where we just automatically go to this, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind yes. of thing. And like Roger Stone. Well, you saw it with the leader of Malaysia who was basically taken yes. out by the military. We're like holding her up as some kind of symbol of freedom who needs to be protected. She oversaw a fucking genocide like two years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's like good riddance, motherfucker. Or Alexei Navalny, who everyone is like millions <laughs> of supporters are depending on Alexei Navalny to take on Putin. Alexei Navalny is a straight up unabashed Nazi. 
There is a YouTube video of him comparing immigrants to cockroaches, and then a man in a cockroach suit runs up and attacks him, and Alexei Navalny pretends to shoot him. He is a devout, openly Nazi piece of shit, and American media never mentions it. They're just like, "You, we got to get this guy out of jail. And it's like, I think we'd maybe do that to Nazis here if they got a little too close you don't get power. more Nazi than, than comparing immigrants to vermin. Yep. You just, that's the, that's it. You, yeah. Now you're a Nazi. You do that, you're a Nazi. You get your card, you get your hat, you're a Nazi. Congratulations. So, so don't fall into that too much watching this documentary. Like, that's all I'm saying is like, I don't feel sorry for, I don't want to say that. I, the, the high ranking, whatever people, it is what it is. Yeah. They died in a very theatrical way, the way many royal people have died in the past. It's it's rich, bad people killing rich, bad people. It's the Sopranos. The problem is how they do it and the collateral damage that comes with how they do it. Which we're going to get to, which we're going to get to. I promise everybody. I promise. Go ahead. I, I keep interrupting you, Adam. No, I mean, we're... I guess it's a podcast. We're, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> it's not like we just spent 20 minutes talking about groceries. It's all related. We're doing fine. <laughs> so... After Kim Jong-un issues this standing order, Kim Jong-nam survives another assassination attempt, this one in 2012, and this prompts him to send a letter to Kim Jong-un, where he's like, look, I don't want to take your job, I just want to live outside North Korea with my family in peace, you're leaving me no other option but to commit suicide, will you please just leave me alone? And his brother's like, no, I will not. So I'm insane. So fast forward to the assassination. Adam, let's get to the good part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of is. It kind of is. And this is all stuff that sort of came out in the news. So we're not giving mm-hmm. too much away. On February 6, 2017, Kim Jong-nam arrived in Malaysia and traveled to the resort island of Long Kauai on February 8th which I don't have it in the notes, but they mention in the documentary, almost definitely was meeting with the CIA at this meeting. And that's not me saying the CIA was involved in this. I don't think they were. He was an asset like that. Yeah, I that, don't. No, no, no. Yeah. That was eventually this, confirmed. And he's this is like, the kind of, this is the kind of meeting you're hoping the CIA takes, right, in my opinion. Like, right. yeah, talk to that guy. This Let's is, talk to him. This is actually the CIA doing what yeah, we their want job. them yes. to do. So absolutely. You'll get no argument from me on this one, CIA. Yeah, it did come out later that he was a CIA asset. So mm-hmm. they're not going to kill the one guy who has the most information about how North Korea works. But someone killed him because on February 13th, he went to Kuala Lumpur International Airport, which we will all call CLIA from now on, as they do in the documentary. It's beautiful sounding airport. He goes there to catch a flight home. At the airport, he was attacked near a self-check-in kiosk by two women who smeared VX nerve agent on his face. And VX is a highly lethal chemical weapon. It's banned by the Chemical Weapons Convention of 1993, which that was the wildest one, if you ask me. 94, I get that there were like fires in the crowd and things, but 93, man, it was like we were all just there vibing, you know? (laughs) I was a year from graduating high school. We were all talking chemical weapons. Pearl Jam played. It was great. But yeah, it's banned. In the spring of our youth. (laughs) People always talk about Lollapalooza, man. The Chemical Weapons Convention? That's where it was at. 
I cosplayed. They just handed out water. It cosplayed was not a as mustard gas. So My buddy fun. showed up as the Black Plague. <laughs> Bin Laden was there. Fuck that demo piece where they just made that tree disintegrate. <laughs> that was the shit. So much fun. I want to go now. It was like a magic convention. <laughs> <laughs> so North Korea did not ratify that convention mm, and no. they're suspected of maintaining a stockpile of VX. So Kim Jong-nam immediately alerts airport officials about what happened. There's surveillance video of all of this. And he does yeah. almost immediately. He's like, whoa, hey, 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 someone just put this stuff on my face. Which is how you know he's used to possibly being assassinated a lot. Oh, yeah. Because if somebody came up and smeared something on my face, it's going to be five minutes of me going like, do I, who do I, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I don't know what to do. He's like, they're trying to kill me. <laughs> well, as we'll touch on, we know most people don't react the way Kim Jong-nam reacted to this because this is a thing they sort of did a bunch of times before this. And not yeah. a single person immediately tracked down police and was like, help. Get me help. They yeah. were just like, gross. What was yeah. that? Ew. Did he just spit on me? <laughs> so this video, it's it's frightening. Like, you yeah. can tell he knows he is in serious trouble. And as they're leading him away to get medical attention, he already starts limping. So this nerve agent is taking effect. It's wild. It's some James Bond shit. Oh, it really is. Yeah. And you watch it in real time on that video. It's just a weird experience. Like, yeah, you're seeing know, we, someone get murdered, but just not in the kind of way that's really going to haunt your dreams. It's not gory. Yeah. It's not like the one we watched where there's maggots in the head and stuff. Oh, collective. Mm. That first cold open of the footage of the club going up. It's like, this is the exact opposite of that. It's it, you just, yeah. unless somebody tells you what you're seeing, you don't know what you're watching. Right. And yeah, they get him medical attention right away, but he dies within an hour. The hour. Yeah. There's even footage of him like waiting outside the clinic on a chair and he's just like slumped over, like yeah. not okay. It's weird. It's weird. So two days after this happens. On February 15th, Malaysian police arrested a 28-year-old Vietnamese woman named Duan T. Wong at Clea. She was identified through CCTV footage. The next day, a 25-year-old Indonesian woman named C.T. Isia was arrested and identified as the second female suspect. We will be calling them Doan and C.T. as they do in the documentary yes. going forward. We are not going to offend you by wrestling with those last names any longer. Nope, that's on us. Shortly thereafter, Malaysian police identified eight other suspects, all of them North Korean. Four of them were at the airport when the incident happened. They all managed to escape to North Korea because if you need to escape a crime quickly, literally no better place to be than at the airport when at that crime airport. happens. It's incredible. Three more managed to reach the North Korean embassy. And they took refuge there. The last, a chemist and North Korean citizen living in Malaysia, was arrested. So when they questioned Doan, she has a wild story to tell. What she claims is that she was instructed by four men who were traveling with her to spray Kim Jong-nam with an unidentified liquid while CD held and covered his face with a handkerchief as part of an internet prank show. 
And that is where my knowledge of the story ended. I didn't know anything about the story from here. No. But I remember this happening, and I remember that defense, that they thought they were part of an internet prank show. And something about that defense, I was like, hell yeah, that's what happened. Like, there's no fucking way you Mm -hmm. just think that defense up. No, but there is a part of me that's like... You know, the Virgin Mary is like the only one that ever got that excuse out. Like, oh, yeah, it's God's baby. Yeah. Oh, no, I was on a prank show. But I would argue there's more evidence for this prank show defense. Listen, water into wine, baby. Because it's a smart plot, but they don't think all the details through. They don't like they don't go full Argo. No, they're, they're a little sloppy about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's part of the fun of the documentary. Yeah. So enjoy that part. It's the best so hard because it's such a an entertaining at like answer yes you know but what happens to these women is like full-on broke down palace not okay <laughs> it's horrifying it is yeah, horrifying it's, yeah and i think as the viewer it's your job as the viewer to decide and this documentary definitely has a point of view yeah if that's in fact what happened if these women should have known what they were getting into it's it's very interesting so after malaysia arrests the chemist north korea responds by refusing to allow any Malaysian nationals within their borders to leave the country. In other words, they just took everyone of Malaysian descent hostage who was inside Mm -hmm. North Korea. Mm -hmm. Which, North Korea gonna North Korea. That's a North Korea move right there. Sure is. And the thing is, Malaysia and North Korea maintain diplomatic relations. So they just start talks to resolve the situation. Eventually, Malaysia released the chemist and let the three men in the North Korea embassy leave. In exchange, the Malaysian citizens living in North Korea were allowed to return home, at which point you would think Malaysia would be like, all right, and that Doan and Seedy girl obviously can go too. Nope. No, negative. They still have to face trial for murdering Kim Jong-nam, which that is shitty. That is shitty of Malaysia to let everyone else go. It's wild. And then still prosecute these two girls. And that's kind of that part is the procedural part of it is what the documentary really explores. I don't want to give a lot away about the trial and things Uh -uh. that happen. I will say I hated the presiding judge more than anyone I've ever seen in a documentary. It is like, like, cause they get the audio, which I'm going to say this. I don't understand why, how much the audio is in English. Like, I, why is the trial in English? I think they just speak. They just do that in English. I, I don't know. I just English genuinely, this is just Malaysia. me. Okay. That's fine. I'll need to go to Malaysia. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't mad at it. I wasn't either. I just was, it was curious to me. Like, because one, one criticism I have of this documentary, don't put white subtitles against a light background. Oh my God. Like, I know the yellow subtitles look dated, but damn it, we can see them in every situation. Leave them or really big if you're going to go white subtitles. Or even put a black bar behind it. I don't care if I can't see what's on the floor. They were in italics. It was like, (laughs) I couldn't rough in some parts. I paused so many times because I was like, what the fuck? Anyway. Also, um, you kind of, there were parts where I couldn't read the subtitles, but I knew what she was getting at. Like, 
you kind I never of felt lost. Yeah, I just was you get worried. The I was of the story. missing something really pivotal and interesting because yeah. to their credit, it's such a heavy information dump. They have to catch you up so much on, you know, North Korea, Malaysia, China, the, all these different things that are going on. It's, it's so it's like, just bear with us here. Like, can you just highlight the subtitles? It might not look pretty. It's anyway, the audio is what I was getting to. The audio of the judge is gnarly. It's a window into a justice system that is very scary. Like, I don't know. I mean, ours they're being, has problems, they're but being they're not even will, trying. Willfully ignorant. Yeah, they're not even trying. Like, there's no innocent till proven guilty spirit of the law going here. And why? Because it's not America. Like, I never understood the motivation for that. Like, their only argument was, well, their defense doesn't make sense. And at one point, he's like, this has no characteristics of a prank because no one's laughing. And it's like, are you a you're a fucking judge? Like, that's your argument and you're a fucking judge. They're not saying what they did was funny. They're saying they were tricked <laughs> into doing it. You absolute dipshit. Like, it made me so angry. I would love to talk to someone and have a really detailed conversation about what their justice system is like. I want to be careful about what I say because I don't know how representative this is. It's just, this judge is scary. He's like a nightmare. Yeah. Like it. it's just, they just had no regard for these women at all. No sympathy, no curiosity. There's no curiosity. And if somebody says this to you, like, sorry, I actually thought I was part of a prank show. I didn't know it was nerve agent. Isn't there just some part of your brain that's like, really? Yeah. Huh. yeah. Tell me about this. Tell me I, if you can explain this alibi to me. I'm fascinated by the opportunity. The thing. That's to the just thing. Be there for this. They are able to explain it. I know. I agree. Because, but don't spoil the documentary. Well, I'm not going to spoil the documentary, I know, but I, know. I will say we mentioned earlier that this group that sets them up does make some mistakes. Yeah. In one was like making your two patsies girls who relentlessly document everything they everything. do on yeah. social media. So when this happens, they're able to be like, well, of course, I'm not lying. Look at my phone. Like, here's the guy. They're able to bring up all these points where they're like, yeah, it's on, it's on Facebook. Like that's you, you can see the prank yeah. video I filmed with them in another country. It's right there on Facebook. And the people prosecuting them just don't give a single shit. Mm mm. And I think that in general, like all justice systems that are in place right now are grappling with the larger conversations about validity and representation, self-representation when it comes to social media. And in our country, what we're seeing is very old lawmakers who don't, you know, interact with these things, just not passing legislation that's helpful. It's all just very scary. It's very yeah. intrusive because on some level, they are weird, you know, evil bankers from Mary Poppins. And I'll give you that. But on another level, they just don't understand it and they don't give any credence to it. How much those two points inform the way these two young women were treated? I can't necessarily speak to it, but the dismissive attitude is just it's it's very scary. 
Hi, we're two non-doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We have a podcast. I don't know how we got it. Well, we're comedians. We stopped getting actual stage time, so we turned to the internet. We Um, have a lot of questions about health. We talk about what we want to know more about, and then we ask our fans to tell us if we're right, and we're very rarely right. We're never right. We've been learning a lot through Google. Our first episode is about Maria having misophonia, to me discussing dyslexia, stuff that people feel like they know a little bit about and want to know more about, to us discovering stuff neither of us knew much about like ASMR. My mom's on the show. My mom is a veterinarian. I'm pretty sure she's going to replace us at some point. We are on the Unpops Network. They saw our potential and was like, we think someday you guys will actually have value. (laughs) Which is an unpopular opinion. (laughs) Do not doctors. Don't Don't listen to us. (laughs) Seriously, guys, we don't know what we're talking about. Let me ask you this question. I mean, how much fault do these girls have? I'm going to be honest. I don't think any mm-hmm. like they were victims of this plot yeah. also like they were tricked into killing a man. Well, And why would you believe that you were part of an assassination attempt? Well, see, that's that's the other point I want to touch on is I feel like a lot of people out there are like, hmm, I would never fall for something like that. Not true. Well, that's because you've never lived in Los Angeles and you've yeah. never met almost anyone struggling to make it in the entertainment industry, which is that's what these two girls were. What like the one girl, Doan, never stopped calling herself an actress. When the police arrest her, she's like, I'm an actress. When she fi- I don't want to give that yeah. away. But she thought she was taking an acting job and it was an acting job that she'd had before with another company. She had filmed internet prank videos for other companies. And 2010, there was so much money being pumped into these stupid YouTube pranks, channels, like crazy, crazy money. Just money Mm, in the internet in general. I worked on the internet at the time. I used to run this scam, basically. There you go. Where this company would pay me $1,500 for infographics. And what I would do is write those infographics and then outsource the making of the graphics, which would still cost me like seven or eight hundred dollars. But then I would just flip it to this company for fifteen hundred. The Internet was awash in money in 2010. Yeah. And everyone thought they were going to get rich on the Internet. I did a really successful animated self-help video called Wellcast in 2010 to 2012 or something like that. The guy that owned the production company made so much money. Yeah. So much money. I I think the time of people making money on YouTube, I think we've, I think you kind of either were part of it or not. Right. Now it's a little different, but back in 2010, there, it was the wild West. It really, really, really was. So it's not crazy. The other thing I don't think people really understand is how shady the experience of being part of the entertainment industry is. In just even at it at its best, because like when you're producing a docuseries, for example, you know, you reach out, you talk to these people, you're the only person they're talking to for six months. And the only thing that they use to confirm that you're who you are is an email address and and an email signature. Yeah, I could send them any link I want. Like, oh, I'm part of this production company. What are they going to do? Call? It never happens. Nobody ever calls ever. So I agree with you. They weren't stupid for falling for this at all. I think it's a thing lots and lots and lots of people would fall for, especially if you already like I could imagine a bunch of comics getting approached by someone and being like, hey, you want to come do comedy in Malaysia? 
you're going to yeah, they would. You're going to get a whole bunch of willing people who would just be like, well, this guy seems legit. I guess I'm going to Malaysia and then hope for the best when you get there. Well, I mean, just think about the sketchy shows that we've done. Yeah. <laughs> like, anyway, I understand why these girls were like, I'm sure this is real. Like if we're taking them for their word, it's completely possible. And in my opinion, also have to take their desperation into account. These girls are yes. more desperately poor than any of us could ever, ever think we ever were. Like one of them works as a prostitute for a while. Like it's not they're not being naive. The The most you can accuse them of is being desperate. They were pro they were profiled. Yeah. There's no question, you know. Yeah, because they were both super active on social media, and it was really clear that they wanted internet attention. And so that's why I don't think they bear any responsibility in this. They were preyed on by a bunch of internet predators who fucking tricked them into killing a guy. Speaking of broke down palace, it does remind me of stories of women that are accidentally turned into drug mules and they don't know it and people are shoving drugs in their briefcase or whatever saying oh it's a family heirloom and you, oh my god you live in reno can you go take this to my grand? you know it's it happens like this isn't there's a precedent for this for sure oh yeah and it's just a thing you can see someone falling for it seems like a crazy oh, yeah. plot but when you really think about it it's just smart It's the most logical plot. And imagine if you're these girls, it's not just that they ran up and smeared VX nerve agent on this guy's face. They had done this like five and six other times. They had done these pranks all these other times where they do the same thing. They run up and smear something on someone's face and they go, sorry, and then run away. So what's to make you think this time? You're going to be assassinating the brother of the leader of North Korea. Like, you would have no reason to suspect that. That's why it's I a don't know. Brilliant plan. It was it's brilliant. A plan. It's a good plan. You got to give the plan its due. I hope everybody watches this because I think you come away from it believing these women and feeling very sorry for them. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, there's no way these two plotted the assassination <laughs> exactly. of Kim Jong-nam. Like, that's the other thing is, like, you hear these women talk and you're like, that's not an assassin. Like, I don't no. know what you think this is, but it's not an assassin. One girl, when she's being interviewed by her lawyer, is still like, is this still part of the prank? Yeah, they're not the brightest bulb on the strand either. And I hate to say that, but they're also just not, I don't know. They got duped. We'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to get into that, but just watch it. Tell me what you think. I don't know. I it, I could see why they were profiled for this. I'll say that. Yeah, they were young, naive. Naive is a good word. Yes. Desperate women yes. who were horribly taken advantage oh, of. Oh, Lord in heaven. Also, like, it's a lot easier to convince someone that they're part of a YouTube prank show than try to get them to become an assassin. Right. That's not an easy thing to be like. Because nobody applies to be an assassin. There's just a lot of governmental grooming that has to happen at that point. And especially not for the money they were paid. Oh, my God. Like, no one's going (sighs) to no one's going to assassinate Kim Jong Nam for like, I think one girl asked for a thousand dollars and she was very nervous about that. But again, imagine you're in her position and someone's like, here's a thousand American dollars. You're definitely going to do some Internet prank videos for that. Like, why wouldn't you? Bottom level, yes. Like, that's the first rung on the ladder. That's the easy stuff. Yeah, they're just very lucky that they documented so much of this. We will leave it at that. Yeah. 
it's a very good documentary. I don't and again, only an hour long. It's like, I think it's a little longer than that, but it's maybe not a hundred minutes or so. It's not like, yeah, it's not unwieldy. No, it's not two hours of your time. Lots of twists and turns. I mean, there's been lots Dude. of twists and turns already. They, the guy got murdered with VX nerve agent smeared that's, on his face. That's literally the first 20 minutes. Yeah, that's it. We've told you the whole exposition. You have surprises ahead of you. Enjoy. The one part that I found really interesting was everything you learn about VX nerve agent because the, well, it, it becomes really important in the trial because at one point that shitty prosecution is like, uh, one drop of VX nerve agent's enough to kill someone, right? And the guy on the stand is like, yep, not true. Not true. There's a reason they were able to keep that on their hands as long as they did. And it's all very interesting. There's a reason mm -hmm. it was smeared on his face as opposed mm -hmm. to just blowing it from a dart gun. Like everything, like everything that happened had a, a reason for why it happened and how it happened. It was a very intricate plot and it mostly worked. I mean, it worked. He's dead. Well, yeah. I mean, the prime directive was achieved. Yeah. This is one where I really don't want to give too much away mm -hmm. so no it's it's fun it's a fun doc. it is fun it is what it is i mean it's it is a high level international story it is filled with actual intrigue like when people say it's filled with intrigue and really it's just like some lady's house in michigan this is filled with intrigue like this is you don't get more intriguing than what's going on in in the higher levels of this story and here's the thing we've been talking about these two girls like they're desperate and poor and uncultured i don't want to leave out the fact that they're both adorable too like that's not a thing you normally say about two women accused of assassinating a potential world leader but they're just so sweet and naive one of them's wearing an lol t-shirt when she kills the guy it's like come they, on like, they got their profile too right they did yes that's the problem is they picked girls that were too on point so much so that you're like so you're telling me the Olsen twins knowingly assassinated this guy like that's basically what it feels like also these girls benefit from the fact that North Korea clearly has never heard of an NDA that oh would have solved God. everything <laughs> this plot would have gone off flawlessly their, if they just made them sign an NDA their brutality and evil mechanisms are so bad in North Korea that's the other thing that I do want to say. It shows how brutal North Korea is in the mistakes that they make. Those mistakes yeah. reveal how little they consider the value of human life and the fact that people can think for themselves outside. And that reality outside of North Korea might look a little different. Like you realize how much of their own stuff they've been smoking. And that part is also really, really interesting. Yeah, it's intense. It's a good find, my friend. It's quite a story. It was a very popular documentary. Here's a like, story oops. of a scary country. Oof. It's nominated Ooh, for some really? awards for a reason. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're going to leave it at that. I don't want to tell them any more yeah. than we have. Go, go watch the court trials of these two girls on the documentary Assassins. Such great archive in this documentary, too. Like, yeah. great archive. Yeah. It's a well done. It's a very well made documentary. Yeah. It's a good yeah, yeah. one. Like, it's the kind of documentary I would go see in theaters. It reminds me of, like, early 2000s documentaries. Remember, yeah. remember there was, like, a time where it was like, ooh, there's, like, a good documentary out. I'm going to go see it in a movie theater. And then I feel like that never happens anymore. No, not really. S especially now. Go see My Octopus Teacher. I bet that was in theaters. Ugh. 
Boring. I don't know. I'm sure it's good. I don't want to. Everybody's like, it's so good. Oh my God, but you're going to cry so hard. I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't know that. That sounds like dear Zachary. Everybody's nothing is like dear Zachary. <laughs> Sorry, it changed my whole mood when you brought up that documentary. People are like, it's going to murder you in the middle. Nothing. I cannot wait. I finally watched it because it's like, it was like that one last Rubicon I hadn't crossed. Where I was like, okay, I got, for the sake of my job, I have to have seen this. It's not cool. It is devastating. It is. Like, you can't, I think that is part of why people say, like, you have to see it because it's it goes so far beyond what you're expecting. Yeah. And it's so much sadder than you ever could have imagined. And the ending is so emotional. It, there's not there's nothing. There's nothing like your Zachary. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's it's, it's hard the most to watch. Gut wrenching true crime documentary ever made. Yeah. Hands down. This is one of the most entertaining true crime documentaries ever made. You should all go give it a watch. Give it a whirl. Until then, I think I think that's an episode, right? I think we did it. I think we made an episode, Adam. We made it. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? No. No. Could this keep yeah. keep doing this. Keep, keep listening, listening to, this, to the please. show. Patreon.com slash unpops, unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. You can subscribe I've... to Pretty Scary for four dollars a month and get a bunch of bonus sodes. We're on Twitter, Pretty Scary Boo. Man, at. that's a good name for BoneCon, too. Bonusodes. Shit. Mm. We, could, we could start calling him that, too. doesn't matter. Bonusodes. I mean, we're going to have to remobilize our entire marketing team, but I'm willing to help burn the midnight oil to make that happen for you, my friend. Shut up and podcast like a bonusone. Bonusone? <laughs> Bonusode. Shut up and die like a podcaster. <laughs> that's what we were going to call the Steve Earl podcast. But oh, man. We just call it Unpops Good Music stuff. and give it like 15 names now. All righty. All right. So I think that's it. Let's get out of here. Caitlin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. We love you. Oh, 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 oh,